Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 242 of Selling the Couch. Hope you are having a wonderful day. So I'm recording this in mid-May and we are still with the stay-at-home orders here in Philadelphia, and it looks like we'll be this way for the next several weeks as rates are going down here, but we're definitely not at the point that we should be. And so I hope that wherever you are listening, that you are well, that you and your loved ones are safe, and that you are practicing appropriate social distancing and doing the things to keep yourself safe and, and clients safe as well. So as I record this, Pennsylvania went into stay-at-home orders in mid-March, and I've actually been home. Susan and I have been home since early March and working from home. And I remember when I had Roy Huggins on. Roy is today's podcast guest. And we were talking, we did a video, a one-hour video Q&A on transitioning to telemental health quickly while maintaining a standard of care. You can find that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash toolkit. So I actually put together a COVID-19 toolkit for therapists. And when Roy and I were talking about this, and I wanted to have Roy on the podcast because now it's been several weeks since that initial, you know, that confusion and anxiety and worry and stress and all of those things, because 
we, you know, just something so new, right? And we were trying to figure out how to switch to telemedicine. And now that many of us have made that transition over, I wanted to have Roy on because Roy has been doing telemedicine for several years. And he he's learned a lot. And I also wanted to have Roy on because, uh, you know, I see lots of conversations happening in our community and other communities of therapists where, you know, there's there's a lot of fatigue with telemental health and there's a lot of emotional fatigue. There's a lot of eye strain. There's a lot of like just physical discomfort. And I wanted to have Roy on to share just some of the real practical things that we can we can do that things that he does but also based on research and and some of the stuff that he is learning in this whole process. Uh, Roy Huggins, if you haven't heard of him, he's from Person Center Tech. That website talks a lot about digital ethics and and all of those different things. And Roy's kind of been at the forefront, especially in our field of telemedicine and how to do this in an ethical way. So in today's podcast conversation, we're going to cover a number of things. So questions like, what is the best way to set up my laptop and my tablet? What should I do? Should I get an external monitor? What should I do? Like I I notice I have a lot of back pain after seeing back-to-back-to-back clients. Like what are some things that I can do? And then things around the expectations, which I never actually thought about it in this way, in the way that Roy will describe, but the expectations that we have with telemental health and how to reorient those in a way that that's healthy all around. I wanted to invite you to download the free online course guide if you are thinking about launching an online course and just want some things that have been helpful uh, for me and some of the tough lessons that I learned along the way. You can again download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. And as I mentioned right at the beginning, we're actually starting a live cohort called Online Course School. This is a great opportunity to join with other therapists to validate and launch and record your online course. The best way to find out about this and to keep updated when the core launches is to download, again, the online course guide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Roy Huggins from PersonCenterTech.com. Hey, Roy, welcome back to Selling the Couch. Hey, thanks, Melvin. It's good to see you. You know, before I even start, I really am just so grateful that something like a podcast, you know, brought us together. We've known each other for four, four years plus. Yeah, I think even longer, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think like quite long. And it's, uh, I, you know, I, one, I'm just so grateful for your friendship and you're just your willingness to always go above and beyond to share knowledge. I know for many of us, this area of ethics and tech, it's super intimidating and it's super confusing. And I so appreciate the fact that you break it down in a way that's understandable. My pleasure. Thanks for giving me a platform to do that. So we, you know, we actually did a, and I was, we were talking about this right before. So Roy and I did a live Q&A right when this COVID epidemic was starting. I think that was like in early March. Well, the COVID epidemic had started by then, but I think many states were thinking, you know, stay at home orders. Then, you know, a lot of therapists were trying to figure out how do I transition it to telemedicine real quick. And we had a really good conversation on maintaining a standard of care while moving to telehealth, which you can find that conversation over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash toolkit. But I wanted to have Roy on one 
couple of reasons. One, just to check in, uh, because we're now recording this in the middle of May, and a lot of things have changed. Yeah. A lot of clinicians, you know, are transitioning, have transitioned. So I'm like excited to pick your brain, Roy. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Let's do it. So I, you know, I was thinking about where to start. And I, I think the most logical place was I remember early March, we talked and there was a sense of fear, chaos, all of the above, like any yeah. host of range of emotions, right? Right. Many like clinicians were trying to figure out how to shut down their practices, their office practices, move to telemedicine, navigate all of that. You've been in this space now, I mean, for years, but especially with with this COVID epidemic, you have been providing so much information. You've been talking to a lot of clinicians in the last couple of months. Where where is the field right now as a compared to you know what it was just even a month and a half ago? That's a great question. At Person Centered Tech, my company, we're actually talking about this like every day. Where are people right now? Because it changes so fast. And the, my general impression right now is that we've gone from everyone being really stressed and anxious and like excited and not in a fun way to people being, I think therapists are starting to really feel the collective trauma of all this. And I don't want to use the word burnout quite, but I imagine a number of people might start to identify with that if I do use that word. But definitely people are very tired. And so a lot of a lot of what I've been trying to do actually is just try to help people, you know, you know, own that and turn towards that and be okay with it. You know, just kind of like give a voice to it so people know it's okay to feel that way. But that's the counselor side. But but also really importantly, like, you know, understand how do you go about being able to do like telehealth all day without getting tired especially when it's just not really what you're used to doing. And also, I think a really big thing, and I, I have a team member who's, actually I have two team members who are specialists in burnout, and they are just constantly talking about how our colleagues are not always recognizing or letting themselves recognize that they're feeling collective trauma and they're feeling fatigue and that what they're feeling is normal and that's not something to be fought and that they really do need to give themselves some space for that. Because they're talking to a lot of people. You know, one of them is actually the person who answers all their emails. So she's just getting hundreds of contacts with people every day. And um, she's just like, so many of these people, just the way they're coming across, they're really tired and really stressed. And uh, part of the problem for, I think for us, is that like when we're feeling the same traumas and anxieties our clients are, that's really rough for us because we want to put ours aside because we want to help the client. And I so I think a lot of therapists are having a hard time um, being willing to own or or just accept or recognize that they're feeling it too. And then, you know, look for ways to increase comfort. Also, I think another struggle people are having is being able to turn towards the fact that this way of working is going to be their way of working for a while. Uh, and that I think is a struggle. And I, I know because a lot of people have told me that's a struggle people are having a lot is just kind of accepting that this isn't just a temporary thing right now, that this is probably how they're going to work for quite a while. Yeah, especially because there's no, like, I guess, clear end in sight. And even, even like, I'm, I'm even thinking about, like, here in Philadelphia, even, you know, we, the state, I think, has done a really good job of, like, you know, almost going county or area by area and putting them into either red zones, yellow zones, or um, mm. green zones. And, I mean, right now here, Philadelphia and the surrounding counties, we're in red zone. Mm-hmm. And I imagine it's going to be like this for several more weeks before we can even get into yellow. And red basically means stay at home, you know? Right. And yeah, no, it's, it is like, 
I think that is one of the hardest things, right? Because the situation is so unique in that there's no clear resolution that we can see right now. So it's both having the hope while realizing we may be in this for the long haul and that that Mm -hmm. persistence or that that endurance, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, and that's actually, I think the thing is, we want to find a way to make it not have to be an endurance game. You know, just to be able to just sort of take it in stride. And I think there's, um, well, okay. When I say that, I mean doing telehealth. The problem is the rest of life. It's, it's like it's hard for it not to be an endurance game of some kind. I mean, human beings got to, we're designed to be near each other. <laughs> so like it's, it's, it's hard to not have it be some kind of endurance game when you can't be near other people other than like whoever's in your house. So, I mean, that's not the thing. But for the teletherapy, uh, the, the, my big message right now, I really hope to try to get out in a much bigger way is, and I'm not trying to be some like evangelist for teletherapy. I mean, I guess I am, but like, but I more just to say, like, <clears throat> I think a lot of clinicians are doing teletherapy in a temporary way. Like they're, it's regarded as just for a little while. And so they haven't set themselves up to be comfortable doing it. I recognize that, you know, I am currently trying to find new furniture and it's really difficult to get furniture right now. I mean, furniture and then like I've been trying to get some video stuff. Like it's impossible to get like cables, for example. Yeah, know? really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm trying to get an HDMI cable for, for a DSLR and it's like even on Amazon, it was delayed like three weeks. Oh my goodness. Okay. That's interesting. I would not have expected a cable. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I think there's a lot of like tech, you know, like things as a result of this. So you said a lot of really good things and I want to like, I've really deep into a couple of them. So you said this, this point that you just made, which I think is really important. So clinicians are almost seeing this as a temporary thing that I have to endure through versus comfortable doing it. So what should, and you've been doing telehealth for a number of years, right? This is like, this isn't necessarily new for you. So what are some ways that clinicians can shift that mindset and thinking like how in terms of just being comfortable doing it yeah there is literally some physical things about the comfort which i'll probably I'll, I'll list some of them just so people hear that part like a lot of clinicians operate with laptops right or even with like ipads right and you know i used to do my teletherapy primarily on the same laptop i'm talking to you on right now and it's a 13 inch monitor which means it's on the smaller side of a laptop screen, but not not the smallest kind of size, right? And it's a um, thing I learned very quickly was that's part of why I'd be tired at the end of sessions is because my monitor is rather small. And so, I mean, it's not tiny, so like it could be worse, but like the I have to do more leaning in, you have to squint more, you have to focus more in order to really see your client, especially if you're not working with your client to do the lighting and the camera and those things that, you know, we learn as being kind of your, your telehealth counseling skills, right? Like, you know, you got to make sure you're lit properly and all this. So when all that stuff isn't in place, it becomes that much harder to see and understand what's going on with your client when you're trying to use the visual, which is what we're doing. The reason we're doing video conferencing is so we can see each other, right? That hurts. It hurts your neck. It hurts your eyes. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of cognitive load beyond what you're normally putting it on your cognition when you're doing therapy. And so people are exhausted at the end. And so like there's there's a kind of double whammy there of 
a bigger monitor. I mean, literally just a bigger monitor and then sitting further back and like being willing to lean back, not leaning in. Like you don't have to have a posture like this is a, a business meeting and you have to look attentive, right? Like letting yourself lean back, it, you know, pretty much like you would in a normal session, you know, like what posture would you have if the client will, excuse me, I shouldn't say normal session, in-person session, you know, if the client was sitting in front of you on, on your sofa or your chair, you know, how would your posture be? Like, are you more attentive because you're on camera uh, or just because of the content, because you're sitting at your desk now? I mean, like, you know, that might be what's going on. The bigger monitor has a couple of effects. One is it lets you make the client's video bigger, right? So you can sit back further and you don't have to, to exercise so much muscle in your head and your eyes to see them. And the other thing it does is, according to the American Telemedicine Association's big survey on you know, video conferencing standards, anything smaller than what we currently call a 20-inch monitor has a, you start to reduce the likelihood that you can accurately assess affect and mental status. Oh, interesting, because of just the graphic quality? Basically, how much space you're looking at. Because it's like, you know, if, if the client's scrunched up small on your screen, it's harder to see their affect. And so, like, you know, there's there's a bunch of other stuff in that that they discovered in that survey that is kind of irrelevant now because those standards are now every day. Like, they're like, oh, this kind of internet speed, this kind of, this level of resolution. And, like, the video resolution level they're talking about is now no one would ever go that low. Or we're always seeing each other at higher resolutions. We always have faster bandwidth than what they researched. What's still true from their research, it's still an issue, is monitor size and lighting. Hmm. Just how well things are lit. How big is your monitor? For some places, it could be the internet speed, but that's not very common. Do you have a recommendation, like not specific type of monitor, but like size-wise? Like what what do you use? And I can share what I do as well. It's a 20-inch monitor. So it's the, it's it's funny because these days monitors are letterbox size. You know, they're wide. Yeah, right? yeah. Back when they, all the research they studied in the survey was when monitors were more closer to a square, oh, right? So they said, 16 inch monitor, which the, that's the not quite square monitor. Monitors are measured from corner to corner. So these days, the equivalent of that is what we call a 20 inch or 22 inch monitor. Again, this was like one of my, like, just because I realized how much time I was spending around the computer. So I have a, about a 27 inch widescreen. Love it. Yeah. And it's perfect. And it's plugged in. I mean, I have it set up where my laptop is, I mean, it's plugged into my laptop, but the laptop is all hidden. So all I see is really the monitor. And then I have the, my keyboard in front of me. And that's great. And then you can, you can sit further back. It's like, you can actually like lean back and see your client writ large on this big screen. Almost like that. Yeah, no, it's very, it's very true. You said that. Cause I was thinking about like, cause my laptop is a 13 inch and you're right. Like I squint and then there is like a notable difference. I remember the first time I ever had this monitor, I was like, oh my gosh, there's like, I'm seeing stuff that's not, I didn't realize what was there, you know? Right. Yes, exactly. Yes. And the other is that people don't always do is you want to expand the window of your client's video, fill up the whole screen. Like people will use like, it usually defaults to something smaller and then clinicians don't think, oh wait, you know what? I should expand this. I should make my client fill the screen. And you should ask your client to do the same with you. Like your client, like both sides really of the call really want to be doing all these things to the extent you can. I, mean, I know some clients are in their car with their phone and that's the best they got. You, you know, I mean, we're doing the best we can, but you know, on your side, to the extent you can control this or the, to the extent you can provide that guidance to clients that makes the session like, I mean, certainly it makes it closer to the evidence in terms of effectiveness. 
right? But we're still doing our best. Don't please, no one stress about that. Don't let that be a tyrannizer for you. If like your client needs to like do a session from their car, you know, if they got to do a session from their car, they got to do that. If that it makes it closer to the evidence. It makes it more comfortable, and it and you will find it makes the session. It makes it easier to translate your skills, you know, your in-person skills to the video. That's what I discovered when I when I researched and started studying how am I actually doing this instead of just firing up the video conferencing and working with clients and figuring it's the same. When I started researching what people learned about it through studies, then I, and I changed my habits and I was like, oh my God, I'm doing this so much better. I'm performing so much better. Um, and clients reported they also found it better. And I felt, I felt less tired. That's so interesting. So when, before we, you know, we started this podcast conversation, Roy was teasing me because I have a checklist that I go through to make sure we're getting really good sound. <laughs> for the podcast. And you know, even though I've done at this point, 242 of these, I just feel like having a solid checklist is really helpful. So Roy, do you have like a checklist like that for your, yeah. for your session? It sounds like you do. I just, yeah, well, I have it memorized by now, but we have the, I, my setup is just set up that way. So I actually don't need to checklist it, but we do have the checklist for what you do with the client. Right. So like, for example, if you go to personcentertech.com slash TMH slash clients, I think, or just slash clients. I can't remember. The the we have a page of, of checklists, basically a checklist of things for the client to do. It's all the same things you need to do, but it's intended for the client to tell them. It's actually a lot of the stuff that was in your checklist, <laughs> Melvin. Because it's like close out programs that aren't our video program. Make sure you're near your Wi-Fi. Are you in a private space? It also has the other stuff that's good, like ethical stuff for telehealth. Like, are you in a private space? Yeah, the people like, is the door locked or like, can people come in if, or have you asked them not to come in? And then it talks about how to set up, tries to help clients understand how to set up their, their light and their camera for a better session. And of course the clinician can use that too. Do you like automate any of that? Like, for example, like, uh, you put that information, like when, you know, they get like a reminder of their session or anything, you, that information in there, or do you go over it with them like before every session? So what I do is, so I have a page on my website that has like a, the the getting started list. It's like one, two, three. First, first, download the software. I'm using VC. Second, go download the telehealth informed consent, sign it, get it to me. Third, go do this checklist and make sure you're following this direction. So we have a good session. And then below that's a big button for going to my waiting room. So I don't I don't ever send my clients anything for sessions. They just they're just a big button on my site they click. That I find to be really useful. Like I don't want I really don't like to send emails to clients. So you know I get to avoid that by having a that the, the waiting room set up. So you let them know like, hey, dirt, like before every session, go to this, like here's where to go. Oh, well, and, they, they know that. Yeah, I mean, it's on my site. Like you can find it on my website. You can just go to my website and follow the link to the telehealth page. That's cool. What about any other tips to really maintain that, you know, as opposed to like that long-term comfort in doing this? Well, the other is, okay, so now what's interesting is the pandemic, having making everybody do this all of a sudden having it being not optional because like you know telehealth was seen as optional for years and now we're like nope not optional and it's changed some things so it's interesting is more of the research well i don't know if it's research or just people trying to figure stuff out smart people figuring things out we'll call it that that people are getting fatigued from the video conferencing for some other reasons besides the ones i described right and like you know one of them is like I think this actually makes a lot of intuitive sense. I, I hope I'm not just going on intuition too much, but this idea that you're seeing a person and so you're expecting your interaction to go certain ways. And I don't mean as in just the audio and the visual, which is all we have with video. I mean, when I'm 
you know, Melvin, if you and I are sitting together in a room, which, which we've never done, which we should change. <laughs> like, yes, most definitely. If we're sitting together in a room, we have a proprioceptive awareness of each other, right? And like, you know, I, I can have an awareness of what you're doing without focusing on like your foot, you know, like, but I might know what your foot's doing. Even if I don't consciously know, my body knows, right? Also, the rhythm of our interaction is going to probably be it's going to be nice and smooth and clean, or at least as smooth and clean as we, as you know, social animals are able to make it, right? You may expect all that kind of stuff in the video context, and maybe things are slightly unsynced. If the other person doesn't have the best internet connection, there might be a slight lag. You're not actually having a proprioceptive interaction with them. And the thing is, from a in teletherapy, that's all taken in stride. Like in, in teletherapy, like clinical theory, right? We were like, yes, we don't have those things. And there are downsides and upsides to all that, right? Like, and we want to use that. We want to do what we can to reduce the negative effects and, and actually take advantage of the positive effects of that change in interaction. And so it's a, it takes practice to think of it that way and take some research or, or some study to work with it that way. But also in the meantime, it's tiring if you're expecting one thing and getting another all day with all your social interactions. And so I'm seeing this from you know, various experts talking about how the you know, people in general are feeling when we're doing everything by Zoom, right? Everyone's, everything's a Zoom meeting or a Skype interaction or something. And they're talking about this being a part of why people are tired or why it's adding to the general collective trauma to, to have to do that. And I realized, I'm like, you know what? There's a good chance it's happening to therapists too. I don't notice it because I've been doing this so long. I'm used to it. And I also don't have a heavy client load. That's very important. I don't have a heavy client load. I should say that. Okay, so that's like a, a big thing too. So let me just go back. So there's, there's a disconnect between what telehealth provides and having a live encounter, right? Yeah. That sort of, I guess it's almost like, Maybe this, you're saying almost like the subtle expectations and that subtle disconnect, the disconnect between what we expect it to be versus what telehealth can offer, that itself can cause fatigue. Well, and actually, let me, let me actually correct one thing versus what video conferencing can offer. And that, that actually is a very important difference because the thing I'm really coming around to is when, okay, is phone sessions, right? Is, is telephone getting rid of the video on occasion? And the problem there is insurance doesn't want to pay for that. Although right now, a lot more insurances do during the emergency. Like a lot of them will pay for phone sessions, but not all of them. And that's the downside. And Medicare, by the way, just announced that they're paying for phone sessions during the emergency, just in case anyone hasn't heard that yet. And they're actually making it retroactive to March 1st. So if you were doing phone sessions with your Medicare people anyways, hey, guess what? You're going to get paid. Congratulations. But the the thing there that I realize is, and I've actually talked to some colleagues about this, is like, because sometimes clients have some trepidation about being on camera too. It's like there might, you might with some clients or sometimes need to have little bits of like, we're going to put the video aside for a few minutes and just talk with voices. Like that's a, in, in some ways you can think of that as an aspect of clinical intervention that is available to the video conferencing medium that's not available in person. You know, it's to be like, we're going to stop seeing each other like visually for five minutes and just talk with voices or like have some clients where there's a phone session and I find like if it's clinically appropriate for the client, because some clients you don't want to do that because you need to see them. Like you need to see their faces sometimes, in which case you don't want to do a phone session, right? But if that's not the case and you're going to get paid or you're, or you're fine with whatever the payment situation is, you know, if it's fatiguing you and your clients, you might want to consider phone sessions because when you just have your voice, you drop all those expectations. Rhythms are a lot better on the telephone. 
right? We don't, like, it just doesn't cause the same level of uh, kind of expectation fatigue that the video does. And so I'm, I'm really coming around to being a big proponent of considering a smattering of phone sessions. Or if you have a client who it finds the, the camera really uncomfortable, which we're hearing quite a few stories about that, and for various legit reasons, whether the client finds the camera uncomfortable, you know, if it's going to be clinically safe and clinically okay, and you're going to get reimbursed or whatever, however you feel about that with that client, consider the telephone. So interesting. You said something earlier, which I like want to talk with, and we'll, we'll wrap up our time together with this, because I saw literally I have seen so many posts, not just in, in the STZ community, but just in multiple communities of therapists, which I, I mean, I completely understand, you know, seeing back to back to back telehealth clients, and then at the end of the day, feeling like getting either having a headache, feeling burnt out, feel like eye strain, those kind of things. And you said something earlier, like you don't, you have an intentionally smaller load and then you kind of space or you're mindful about that, you know, like spacing clients out. Can you take us a little bit behind the scenes of like what you do in order to maintain that endurance? The light client load is, is just happenstance. It's because person-centered tech is kind of my main job. Yeah. So just, I have like, today is my client day and I actually only have two clients, but it's a really late day. I usually will have like four clients, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And I don't mind back to back. I don't mind it at all, actually for telehealth. But like you said, I've been, I've been doing it for like 10 years. Yeah. Everything I said earlier about the physical changes, monitor size, sitting back further, letting your eyes relax when you look at the client, that will actually help a lot with the eye strain and the headaches. The feeling fatigue though, could be what I was talking about, about expectations and not being accustomed to video. And when you're doing the video conferencing based session, if you're still feeling like a kind of cognitive insistence on on in-person interaction styles, which is normal and natural that you might until you start consciously deciding otherwise, then that will also be tiring. Roy, any other kind of final tips, strategies, things to just, you know, embrace this period that that you've learned and that, that you're hearing from colleagues? Yeah, like accept that you're feeling it too, you know, and, and just accept that when you're there with that client and they're, you know, and whatever's going on there, you're feeling it too. And I know you, like my old prof, used to say you put your feelings aside or your needs aside for the client, but you don't stuff them. And I, that was, I thought that was one of the most useful lessons I got from a professor who gave me a ton of useful lessons, but like, you know, he was just like, you don't stuff them. You don't, you don't suppress your feelings. You just hold them to the side. I think that's really important because I, because we're feeling too much to try to stuff or repress them or pretend that we don't have them just because our clients need us. Yeah. And I think there's also sometimes I think it's very easy as business owners to get into this mindset that I have to focus as a business owner and yes. I can't like have these feelings so much, especially with like this, like there's no yeah. manual on this, you know, and, and stuff changes day by day, you know? And so that's such a good point that you're bringing up. Yeah. That's a good point too, about the business. Roy, I am just so grateful for you. Um, I can't believe our time like flew by. I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I wanted to have you on because one, as just to adjunct to that video conversation that that we had where we really did talk, we, we dove for an hour into how to move into telehealth while maintaining quality of care. And today with Roy, I just wanted to more focus on like, where are we now? How do we embrace sort of the day-to-day of telehealth? And, and really just grateful for the knowledge that you shared, Roy. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Melvin. It's always great talking to you. 
You're welcome. How can we learn more about person-centered tech and some of the awesome stuff that you're doing? And I know you've got a bunch of like resources, so feel free to like share a couple of them as well. Yeah. Well, personcenteredtech.com, like person-centered therapy, but tech instead of therapy.com. If you go there, our front page right now is is a lot of free resources for your telehealth practice, although I think most people have them by now. And uh, also, I have been doing a lot of sort of spontaneous Facebook Live presentations. So if you go to facebook.com slash person-centered tech, you can like our page and you'll, you'll see some of those. Or you, you can click live on the menu on the left side of the page and see all those, all those presentations I've done on various topics. Um, but subscribe to our newsletter where, like, I know everyone says that, but like, no, really, I mean it. <laughs> like, we're constantly processing what's going on and what people need. And that's the main way we get information about it out to people is through the newsletter. Awesome. And then where can we find information about subscribing for the newsletter. Go to personcenteredtech.com and on the front page right there at the top, there's a form to subscribe. Roy, thank you again for doing this and please be safe. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Melvin. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Roy and especially if you are in a season where you're doing telemental health and you are feeling fatigued, tired, uncertain about this whole medium. I hope that today's podcast session has just been helpful for you and and kind of gives you some more practical tools in terms of some strategies and things to employ. When we have conversations, especially recommending like different pieces of technology, I always struggle with that because I'm a believer in like building slow and, and, you know, not spending money recklessly or anything like that. But I think especially for telemedicine and especially if you envision you know, at this point, I I think this will be kind of a long term, right? Everything that we're reading, this is more, this is, you know, just not going to disappear next month, right? And so something like a good monitor is just so valuable. Some of the other stuff that I've, I've done. And let me know if you guys ever want me to create a podcast episode on this of how I structure my home office, but I have a standing desk, the cool thing with my standing desk also is the top of it I can write on. So if I need to like jot down any quick notes or anything during client sessions or consulting sessions or coaching sessions or anything like that, then I can do that as well. And then I invested in a really nice chair. There are a lot of really great options. There's actually a good conversation that's happening in the STC community in terms of office chairs and what people like. And so I encourage you to check that that conversation out in the community, which you can join over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. I use a Herman Miller Aeron chair. It's a bit more expensive than most chairs, but I was very fortunate to have this chair during internship and postdoc. And I sat on this chair most days of the week for two years, and it was amazing. I, I never knew the value of investing in a good quality chair. And this was, I saved and saved and saved and and finally, fortunately bought one here for my home office. And it's been just wonderful because I spend a lot of time sitting. And then if I'm not, then I'm using my standing desk. But just the fact I, I wanted to like invest in my back in short. So I would also think about things like that as well. Roy mentioned a number of resources. You can find that over at Selling the Community. I invite you to download the free online course guide if you are thinking about launching an online course and just want some things that have been helpful uh, for me and some of the tough lessons that I learned along the way. You can again download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. 
And as I mentioned right at the beginning, we're actually starting a live cohort called Online Core School. This is a great opportunity to join with other therapists to validate and launch and record your online course. The best way to find out about this and to keep updated when the core launches is to download, again, the online course guide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide where so you can dictate if you want as well. You can learn more about therapy notes over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. And as we wrap up, uh, again, just wanted to say thank you for being here. We just passed the 950,000 download mark for this podcast, which to be completely honest, when I started this in, in March of 2015, I thought that was probably going to happen maybe a couple of decades in maybe. It's crazy. So I just wanted to say thank you. You know, this podcast wouldn't exist without each of you and you sharing, you listening to each of these episodes and, and sharing them with colleagues. And I just uh, so appreciate you. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. Hey friends, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session. And if you are in a season where you've been thinking long and hard about launching an online course, just wanted to invite you to our brand new workshop titled Behind the Scenes of a Small Launch to a $300,000 Online Course. You can sign up over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. We try to do a really good job with this workshop. We updated a whole bunch of new material and some of the things that you'll learn in this workshop are the five key steps to take your course from an idea to generating income, some of my top gear and software recommendations in order to launch your online course, and the top three mistakes that I made with my Healthcasters podcasting course, which I launched back in 2015 and have been fortunate to have over 272 students in that course. Again, you can sign up over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.